Hi, I'm Jenny. And I'm Chris. And we're from 10am at Neutral Bay, and we're excited to be opening God's Word with you this morning. Our first reading is from Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The second reading is from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Acts 8, starting at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your life-giving word inspired by your life-giving spirit. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, teach us, open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds that we might see Jesus, what he is doing in your world and what he could do in your world. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Friends, come with me to North America in 1735, the Great Awakening with Jonathan Edwards, and thousands of people give their life to Christ, tears of repentance and tears of joy. Now, where did that start? It started with a people praying for the outpouring of the Spirit over that nation. I'd come with me to England and 1739, and John Wesley and George Whitfield are preaching to up to 50,000 people every day in open fields. And thousands are, are coming to Christ on their knees in repentance and faith. Where did that start? With a prayer meeting. People praying for an outpouring of the Spirit over that nation. Wesley himself says that up to 60 people gathered in Fetter Lane and they interceded fervently. And and at 3 a.m., the presence of God fell upon them and they were convicted and convinced that he would go out into that land and he did. Come with me to New York in 1850 in the Great Revival then. Up to a million lost souls were saved for Christ. Where did that start? With one man called Jeremiah who was committed to prayer. He started a weekly prayer meeting where people gathered to, to wait on the Lord, to weep, to plead, to pray for an outpouring of the Spirit in that city. And so when went, the gospel went out, it went out with power and people were saved. I come with me to China in 1910 and a, a missionary called Jonathan Goforth, he had a heart for the lost, but he saw little fruit. He was disheartened and discouraged. He read about another missionary called Charles Finney and he was struck by his commitment to prayer and the Holy Spirit. And so Jonathan read the book of Acts and underlined every time the Spirit of God was mentioned and he said he found a treasure of infinite worth and he too began to pray, to pray for an outpouring of the Spirit over China and it started in a little village as he preached one night to these cold, unemotional people The Spirit of God moved and people were one for Christ. Uh, Come with me uh, to the Hebrides in Scotland in 1949 and two old ladies, Peggy and Christine Smith, who are committed to praying for the movement of the Spirit on those islands. And the answer came through a preacher called Duncan Campbell who visited one night and he preached the gospel At the end of the evening, he said he was called to the police station, a local police station, where he found 400 people confessing their sins, pleading for mercy because they'd met the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Come with me to the SCG here in Sydney, 1959, a stadium packed with people waiting to hear the, the world's greatest evangelist, Billy Graham. And what would you find? Behind the scene, behind the stadium, you'd find a man called Billy Graham on his knees and praying. This was his prayer. 
Thank you, Lord, for your mighty works. But we pray now tonight for a mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Spirit, open eyes. Spirit, soften hearts. Spirit, bring lost souls home tonight. Spirit, move. Spirit, breathe. Lord, we need you. Because, friends, to quote Billy Graham, prayer is crucial for evangelism. Only God can change the heart of someone, he says, who is in rebellion against God. No matter how logical our arguments, how fervent our appeals, our words will accomplish nothing unless God's Spirit prepares the way. The church today has all the tools for conquest, money, organisation, education and methods. But we lack that God-given spark to ignite these things into a spiritual fire that could sweep the world and could bring peace to our desperate world. And that spark is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Coming to our world today, around the world today, there are revivals happening and people flock into Christ in their multitudes, not in Europe, not in Australia, not in America, no, in places like Iran and Nepal and Afghanistan. Why is that happening? Because Christians are committed to pray, to pray for an outpouring of the Spirit over those lands. Come with me to Pentecost, and you find these timid, lacklustre disciples waiting for the Spirit to come. But when the Spirit came, they were empowered to preach. And Peter preached this most extraordinary sermon on that day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people believed. And the gospel went out. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. And the gospel went out to Jerusalem and to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. And you could say the church is the fastest growing organisation in history. Faster than Google, more influential than McDonald's. It has shaped cultures across the continents. It has crossed ethnic barriers. Now what causes the gospel to grow? It is not planning. It's not leadership coaching or church planting organisations. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who takes the gospel out into his world. Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus said to his disciples, here it is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Because mission is always directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He opens doors. He raises people. He breaks into regions that seem impossible to reach. So today, we're going to spend our last sermon in the book of Acts. No sermon on the Holy Spirit would be, would be complete without looking at the book of Acts. It's been called the Acts of the Apostles. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is mentioned 59 times in this book. That's a quarter of all the New Testament references. And can I urge you this week to take time to to read through Acts and underline every time the Spirit of God is mentioned. It is so inspiring. So just two points. Number one, the Spirit empowers mission. The Spirit empowers mission. 
Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses, says Jesus. So before these disciples rush out to tell anybody about Jesus, they must wait, wait for the Holy Spirit because he brings the power. That word for power is the word dunamos or dynamite. It is explosive power, it's persuasive power, it's effective power. And the power of the Spirit is needed for any kind of gospel work. Without the Spirit of God, our witnessing is powerless. Everything we say might be true and accurate and intelligible, but there's no Spirit, it's just words. So the Spirit brings this boldness, this boldness to our witnessing. That's the word used by Peter in Acts chapter 4. The disciples are praying, Lord, Consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. And then we're told down in verse 31 of Acts 4, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, do you see that link? It's the Spirit who gives the boldness to our witnessing. As we seek to, to tell people about Jesus, Uh, We have sweaty palms and and a a fast heart. But as we ask for the Spirit to empower us, he gives us this this clarity, this conviction, and this courage. So he empowered Peter to preach. The day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, as he's filled with the Spirit, he stands up before a crowd, a vast crowd of people, and he boldly preaches Christ. There's a clarity to his preaching He's crystal clear on who Jesus is. That's from the Holy Spirit. There's a conviction in his preaching. He he really believes that that Jesus is the Messiah and everyone who calls his name will be saved. That's from the Spirit. There's a challenge in his preaching. He calls people to repent and to believe. You need boldness for that. And that day, 3,000 people believed. The Spirit empowered Stephen to witness. Listen to Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs, but opposition arose. Here it is, verse 10. They could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. So the Spirit gave Stephen this clarity to preach. And Acts 7 is the most extraordinary sermon on the Old Testament. And again, Stephen challenged people. Acts chapter 7, he he says these words in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Now that takes boldness. Same with us. We, We need the boldness from the Holy Spirit. You know when you're in that conversation with a friend, and they ask a question that naturally leads to talk about Jesus. In that moment, pray. Pray for the Spirit who lives in you to equip you with a, with a clarity and a conviction and a courage. I know that many people at the moment are maybe a bit shaky in their faith. Well, this is the moment, friends, to experience the power of the Spirit as you step out in faith and you ask your friends, your unbelieving friends, what's their one question for God? Have the boldness by the power of the Spirit to invite them into your homes next week 
to listen to the One Question to God series. And whenever I preach, I just pray a simple prayer, come Holy Spirit, may they see Jesus. It's not just clarity, not just a conviction, we need courage. This boldness to speak of Jesus, no matter what the consequences, what the opposition is. I love this about the Spirit's work in the book of Acts. As his first disciples proclaimed Jesus, they faced rejection and beatings and persecution, yet the Spirit of God gave them resilience way beyond our normal human capacity. So take the Apostle Paul, the great evangelist and church planter. Uh, When he went to Cyprus, he was witnessing to one of the city leaders, the, the deputy prime minister, if you want, and he was interested to find out about Jesus. But whenever that happens, you can expect opposition. And the opposition comes in, in a, a man called Elimas, who is so opposed to the gospel. Now listen to what Paul says to him in Acts 13, verse 9. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, you're a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Friends, it takes courage and boldness to defend the gospel like that. If we're going to speak up for Jesus, please remember we're in a spiritual battle. Your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual realm. But it's the Spirit of God who gives you the the backbone for the battle, gives you the the comfort in the furnace. It equips you for the fight. If we suffer for Christ, so did most of his disciples. Now this truth will liberate you as you get to talk about Jesus. As you begin to speak, those questions pop up like, what will they think of me? What if they don't like me? They might not like you. They might think you're crazy. But the Spirit of God gives you the courage to keep on preaching. What am I saying? I'm just saying don't try and evangelize your friends with your words and with your power without the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit empowers mission. Number two, the Spirit directs mission. The Holy Spirit is the missions director for this church. He controls the strategy. He determines the results. A church planting or evangelism is not about plans or vision statements. It's about depending on the leading and the prompting and the opening of the Holy Spirit. Again, I love the way the Spirit directs missions in the book of Acts. He directs specific people to specific places. He's like the ultimate strategic planner. He takes his his people to key cities and converts key people so the gospel can spread like wildfire. Let me show you. In Acts 8, Philip is taken to Samaria by the Holy Spirit And God scatters his disciples through suffering and takes them to Samaria. But listen to how the Spirit leads. Acts 8, verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And there he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 29. 
The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? He explained the gospel the Ethiopian believed is baptized down to verse 38. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him again. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel there. I love that. So the, the Spirit leads Philip to this Ethiopian eunuch who just so happens to be in the chariot, who just so happens to be reading Isaiah. There isn't just so happens, it's the Spirit's leading and directing, and through his gospel proclamation, that man believes and the gospel goes out. The Spirit led Peter to Caesarea. It's there in Acts chapter 10. He's praying and God gives him a a vision, a vision of a large sheet full of animals. And it says this, verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And so the, the Spirit prods Peter, as he is praying through a vision to go with his men, they go to, they go to Cornelius' house and the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. Same with the Apostle Paul. The Spirit led Paul and Barnabas down to Cyprus in Acts 13. In Acts chapter 20, the Spirit leads Paul to Jerusalem. But I love Acts chapter 16. Let me just read 16 verses 6 to 10. See the Spirit's leading. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not, would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision, a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over here to Macedonia and help us. After Paul has seen this vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit prevented Paul from preaching the gospel in Asia. Now, we don't know how he did that. It could have been visa problems or virus restrictions or health issues or government restriction. We just don't know. But God did not want him to preach the gospel in Asia. So Paul decided to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus stopped him from going there. That door was closed. But through a vision, the Spirit leads him to Macedonia, where Paul preaches to a little church in Philippi. And Lydia and the slave girl and the jealous family are all converted and a church of Christ is born, this church full of joy. That was not Paul's plans, that was God's plans. And that's how the Spirit directs us. He closes some doors and he opens other doors. Uh, please don't be unsettled by that door language. I'm not supposed to think which is the door I'm supposed to walk through. All he's saying is that God's plans might not be your plans. Now, you may plan to invite that person to Christianity Explored or plant that church over there, but that might not be God's plans. And what often happens is that we take our plans 
And when it doesn't happen, we, we just push and push and push because it's our plans and we know best. But sometimes the Spirit has said no. And sometimes he opens the door to new opportunities that you've never seen before. And friends, it's often in hindsight you see the doors that God has closed and the doors the Spirit has opened. So it was never my intention to plant a church in Kiwi. That wasn't the plan. The plan was to plant a church 15 years ago in Shore School, but they said no, and that door was closed. The plan then was Lavender Bay, but they said no. Artarman said no. Wollstonecraft said no. And then one day, running over the bridge, I spotted the spire, and the Spirit said, that's the church. And Church by the Bridge was born in Kiribati. That was the Spirit's leading. So first, are you open to the Spirit's direction for where he might want you to go? There are thousands of people who need to hear the gospel. Where's the Spirit leading us as a church? We may have our mission strategy and our church plant planning, but let's hold loosely to that because we don't know where the Spirit of God might direct us and lead us. Same with your personal evangelism. Loads of your friends and colleagues who need to hear about Jesus. So when you bump into somebody by accident, coincidentally, randomly, it's not random, it's not an accident. That's a spirit-led moment where you might have a conversation about Jesus. So the Spirit directs people to places where he wants the gospel to go. And then he raises up and commissions people to go into the world. Sometimes that's painful, you know. In Acts 13, he sets aside Paul and Barnabas for the mission. It says, Acts 13, verse 2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now that must have hurt, because this young church in Antioch, they needed Paul, they needed Barnabas. But God, by the power of his spirit, called Paul and Barnabas to a new mission field so the gospel could go out. And he often does that, takes the best people and takes them to a new mission field. So are you open, willing to go to the places where God wants you to go, to the people he calls you to go to? I remember speaking to Viv Chapman about four years ago now about the, the role at Church by the Bridge. It wasn't our plan that she would go into housing commission or aged care ministry, but that's where the Spirit led her. And praise God for the work he's done through her. To be honest, Rachel and I never expected to be in a lower North Shore. We feel much more comfortable in less affluent suburbs. But God has led us here. And what a privilege to preach the gospel here. So the Spirit empowers mission, the Spirit directs mission. Why? Because it's God's mission. This is the Lord's work. You can preach, you can use persuasive words and intelligent arguments, but it's the work of the Spirit to open blind eyes, and that is liberating. So what's God calling us to do? I hope there's an aching in your heart, an aching in your heart for the lost souls who don't know Christ. There's a statue in London of John Wesley, and under it, in other words, the world is his parish. The world is his parish. 
And friends, have you, have you got a, a heart for the lost? 4,000 people in Kirribilli, 10,000 in Neutral Bay, 12,000 in Cremorne, 28,000 in Mossman, 10,000 in Artarmon, 10,000 in Lencove, many of whom do not know Christ. Does your heart ache and long for them to know them? Ask the Spirit to lead you. Is there an alertness to the Spirit's leading? Do you wake up expecting the Spirit to direct you and to lead you, looking for those opportunities, excited about where he might lead you that day? What he does with me is this. Often I'm walking down the street and a name pops into my head of someone I haven't thought about for a while, so I text them or I phone them. That's a prompting of the Spirit. Aching in the heart and alertness to his leading, but an attitude of prayer. Time on our knees, begging God, pleading with God, Spirit of God, have mercy. Spirit of God, come on this nation, come on our neighbourhood, come on our networks. Do you pray like that? And the prayer meeting is the most important meeting in our church. Not just the organised prayer meeting, but when individuals get together on their knees, begging for a movement of the Spirit. There's five people you've been praying for for the last couple of years. Are you pleading with the Spirit of God that he might open their hearts and minds to see Jesus and he might empower you for that task? What about our neighbourhood? Do you pray there'd be such an outpouring of the Spirit that people are saying, what is happening here? All these people turn to Christ. And the nation at the moment is desperately in need of hope and we have the hope in the gospel. And so by the power of the Spirit, let's pray that Christians are bold and courageous in preaching Christ and the Spirit of God chooses to use us to expand his kingdom. So friends, without the Spirit of God, without the Spirit of God, there is, there is no salvation, there is no scripture, There is no sanctification. There are no gifts. There's no fruit. There's no assurance. There's no freedom. There's no mission. But we have the Spirit of God, the mighty, powerful, Holy Spirit. Let's praise God. Praise God for his Spirit and the work he's doing in us and he could do through us. Amen.